Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Family, again, I want to... I want you to understand what a, what a joy it is to laugh at church. All right? We have a camaraderie in Christ that we never want to forget. A family's got to be loyal to one another. And certainly we want to be praying for uh, hurting people in one way or another. Again, and as I look around the, the room today, uh, Pete Hines is here up front. I'm thrilled to see you here because uh, you're, you're always a little off <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> Tina's in the back. We pray dearly for her. Uh, Perry uh, is going through cancer treatment. He's not here. He was here last night. He wanted to be in a little smaller service uh, to protect his, his care while he's going through chemotherapy. Uh, Mark, who normally sits right here, uh, is in the hospital this morning. He has, he has some uh, infection that they're not quite certain as to, as to what's going on. But family, understand, I, I'm saying that in the, the holistic understanding of who we are. All right? We have to care for our family. All right? And yet, I don't ever want us to lose the smile on our face for who we are. All right? You're, you're not only kids of the king. You're the sons and the daughters of God on high. And what a privileged position that is to be this morning. So as we, as we always remember our church family who hurts, let us also remember as a church family, we rejoice in, your grace, in his grace and goodness. Never forget those things. And I would suggest to you today that that's a, a very important lesson for us to learn. And if I could just use a, a, a man in the past, Martin Luther, the, the very founder of what we know as the Reformation, learned that lesson. He apparently was a man who was really stricken with depression, anxiety. And that's hard to believe considering some of the things that he accomplished uh, and many times in which uh, by by the stress of the times, he literally was at death's door and, and yet would march boldly through. History tells us in 1527, his community was stricken with bubonic plague. And he and his family got it. And then his church tried to get him out of town. We don't want you to, you, we can't jeopardize you and your health. We want you out of town. But he said, no, pastors don't run. The, 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 the sick need encouraging. And he stayed. But it also wasn't an easy thing for him to do. He was going through depression himself. But I want you to understand what he held on to today, just like we will study today, was Psalm 46. Psalm 46 served to be his, his guiding light, his passionate power. And out of Psalms 46 comes one of our most significant hymns in history. A mighty fortress is our God. 
a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. But we have a God who overcomes. And that was his. And by the way, you heard me sing last week that you're not going to get that on a regular basis. <laughs> All right? So even though I use a hymn, it didn't get sung this morning. Amen. <laughs> Family, understand what a privilege it is. We're in these 10 psalms that we select, but from, from 42 where we started last week to 48, they seem to be written by the sons of Korah. The individual author, we don't know. But I, I, I want to just say, after, after we presented what the sons of Korah were, uh, these become some of my favorite characters now in Scripture. Um, last week, they seemed to be able to measure a believer's pulse on how to handle insecurity, didn't they? Um, and, and I can only tell you what it did for my own soul handling our fears in seasons of depression. It, it meant and means that we have a thirst for God. So we want the living God. We're not satisfied with just a, a, a statement about God. We want the living God in the person of Jesus Christ. We want, we want the relationship that he offers because he paid it all, turned and offered us salvation that we didn't have to spend money on, we didn't have to buy, we didn't have to sign some contract. We simply give him our life for his righteousness. And what an incredible privilege that is. And we want to thirst for him even when our prayers don't seem to make it past the ceiling. We want to recognize how badly we need him no matter what we're going through. He goes on to say we need to drown out the noise. And we live in an era today of noise, family. Never forget that. You will become increasingly considered offbeat, off-target, weird, out of step with culture. And yet at the same time, you will either choose to believe the noise that you hear or you will recognize the authority of the gospel message offered to you through scripture and by the precious work of Jesus Christ. And you will say, boy, that's more important to me than the noise that I keep hearing. Family, you and I need to remember the past. And we remember the past when, when God used us. As we go through any of our dry seasons of life, there were times when God used you in a wonderful way. You, you had uh, your prayers answered. You, you saw in, in worship a, an unprecedented time where you were growing in the Lord and, and you felt that incredible connection and Scripture was alive and wonderful to you. You need to reflect on that. You've got to go back to those moments in time. And then every once in a while, you have to preach to yourself. You have to tell yourself that God is your hope and your confidence. And family, understand that that's important. Sometimes you have to do it for yourself. It's what gets you off the couch. 
when, when you are in depression and anxiety, when you, when you are living in fear, there are times when you just have to get off the couch for yourself. I love the Lord. I want the Lord. I want him to work in my life. I'm going to move forward. Please listen. Other times, you preach to yourself so that you can be a help to others. When you're stuck on the couch, there may be other people stuck on the couch who don't have the resolve that you might have. And so there are times when you have to preach to yourself, God is faithful. God will be here. I know he will. I have trust in him. And you get off the couch because somebody else may need your hand to pull them off the couch. All right? So don't forget our, 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 our men, our sons of Korah last week equipped us in Psalm 42. But family, now the sons of Korah are going to fill us with the reason we can handle tough times. You see, if we do any of those things without really understanding the authority of God, then really they're a pep talk. We don't want a pep talk. We, 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 want, we want to know that what we believe in, what we hold precious, the, the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ is powerful, alive, and in the present tense reality. We want that. And so the, the sons of Korah come and they, they teach us. They experienced God in a moment in history that I believe to be unbelievable. One of my favorite moments in biblical history, this is the outcome of this incident as the psalmists write. Family, this comes from a moment in time. We have it recorded in Isaiah 36, 37, and 38. It's recorded elsewhere in, in the Kings and the Chronicles, but this is the most significant. Family, at that time in, in world history, there were three superpowers. One, the up-and-comer, Babylon. The Babylonian Empire was, if you will, the future China. They're, they're, they're coming on, they're developing, they're growing. Their power is being amassed in world history. They're the up-and-coming superpower. One power is the declining power, the Egyptians. We, we know them through the pharaohs, but yet at the same time, they still are a, a, an immense power, but nothing like they were. The third is the power that is right now, the superpower, the Assyrians. And family, the Assyrians are bloody, ugly tyrants. They come down first, and they go along the coast of what you and I know today as Israel and Judah and into Egypt. And they stop any, any thought that the Judeans would ever have help from anyone else. And then they begin to circle in, first taking every city that Judah has. Their last remaining city is also talked about in Scripture, Lachish. When the, when the Assyrians took Lachish, they came in and they killed tens of thousands of people who were holding refuge within the city. 
They then took and impaled on stakes outside the city wall all of the key men and women who ran the town and their families. And they left this brutal visual to anyone who, who could look to know we will not ever deny the Assyrians their, their power. And now they come to Jerusalem itself. And we have the leader, King Sennacherib. We have his statement given to the men and women at the walls of Jerusalem. And I would encourage you, if you're not reading devotions right now, go, go and read these three chapters. I want to give you just one, one quick verse and to set the stage of the defiance of King Sennacherib. And he says this, through his under, underlings, Behold, lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of King Assyria? Of the king of Assyria? So family, in their fear, King Hezekiah now runs to the Lord. And, and, and the visual is graphic. He has, he has all of these defiant words of, of, the, of the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, on paper. And he lays them out, the Bible tells us, before the Lord. As if the Lord can't read and he wants them to see it. See what they said about you? And as he prays, Isaiah says, don't worry, God's got this. And so, family, we, we even have that written for us in Isaiah 37. And let me read to you, if you will, the, the boldest of the statements. He says this, as, he, as if God is talking one-to-one -to, -one to Sennacherib, he says this, because you have ravaged against me, or raged against me, and your complacency has come to my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. And so God talks to King Sennacherib and said, Who, who's talking to me? How dare you? I'll show you power and I'll show you authority. And so family, I want you to understand, within days... The Bible tells us an angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 of the Assyrian troops. And the following morning, they were all dead corpses. Now, I want you to understand, not only does the Bible tell us this, but a man by the name of Barossus, a Babylonian historian, tells us that that's exactly what happened, confirming it outside of the Bible, that God sent a plague and destroyed 185,000 of Sennacherib's men. So family, I want you to understand as we begin this study today, when, when you and I sense God's supernatural action, we gain a personal trust in the God we have as our Father through Jesus Christ. 
So let's look at this psalm this morning in its entirety that we may gain a, a perspective on just exactly the confidence that we should have, can have, and will have in believing on the work of the mighty God. Beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 46, follow along in your copy of God's Word or here on the screen. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. Verse 1. Family, this is presented as if the, the singers are singing, and you just heard stanza one of this song. He goes on, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is un, in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when, when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Verse 2. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on, our, on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So ends verse 3 of that wonderful hymn. So family, this, this psalm breaks down obviously in a very easy three-part division. So this is a, 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 a pastor's dream. He doesn't have to work on an outline. It's just already given to him. So I want you to notice, if you will, this first stanza's emphasis. It's all about our God. Are all about our God. And I want you to notice, God has two kinds of help that he offers us. He is our refuge and he is our stronghold where we run. And so in this refuge, he is also our strength. Twice more in verse 7 and 11, he builds on that with a synonym to saying, God is our fortress. And so family, sometimes God shields us from what's going on around us. And I'm, I'm sure you've heard the wonderful stories. For me, there was a missionary of yesteryear, Jerry Rose, as he went through the, the jungles there in New Guinea. Thank you, my wife. It's as if you read my notes. Jerry Rose simply says he had a wet, he had a wet flag, and, and there were some very disgruntled natives around him and he took the flag and he whips it out to dry on a bush and as he pushes it on the bush an airplane which had never come through that valley before went right over the top 
And all of a sudden, the natives who were about ready to create havoc immediately stopped. They thought if he had the power to just simply flick a blanket onto a rag, onto a bush, then man, he's got more power than we are aware of, and they stopped. There are times when God is the fortress, the refuge. Now, I want you to see scripture. God is also the refuge, the fortress, in moments when we're not aware. See, he's the one in control. Family, how many times have, have, have any of you fallen asleep behind the wheel? You woke up halfway in the lane of oncoming traffic, just in time to curve back over, straighten out, and keep going. God's your refuge. God's your refuge. How many times has there been a moment in time when there was a, you did an accident, you fell in an, in an unnatural way, you did something at an unusual time, and it just, it worked out almost in an unbelievable fashion, keeping you from really serious damage. God's your refuge. Family, not only that, God has no timeline in being your refuge. Years ago, I am a young teenager, idiot, capital I, idiot. I had to put the cover over the top of the swimming pool that we had at home, the classic four-foot above-the-ground swimming pool preparing for the winter. The pool filter, or excuse me, the pool cover sunk to the very bottom of the pool. Remember, I'm a young teenager. I can hold my breath like nobody's business. I thought, you know, I'll go underneath the cover, and all I'll do is stand up, and it'll float to the top. <laughs> Capital I, idiot. So as I get to the middle of this section, I stand up. Have you ever been in a baggie? Sealed, that's the experience. From ankles to head, I am stuck in this baggie. I try to drop again and hoping it would go off me. I am in a baggie. I stand back up, and I can tell you to this day, I don't know how it happened, I don't know why, but I, I hoped that if I opened my mouth loud, uh, wide enough, I could get just enough into my mouth and bite a hole in it. All right? And it worked. I bit a hole in it. It broke the seal. I was able then to get out. You see, God's my refuge. I didn't think about that. I'm, I'm an idiot teenager. But you know, God knows my future. Family, I had a chance to be a youth pastor for 18 years. I got to help countless teenagers who could also spell idiot with capital I. <laughs> but I was able to help them, point them spiritually in, in different ways, be used by God in ways that I never could have anticipated in that moment of time. God, in his preemptive wisdom, knew what was best. You see, and let me ask you a question. Your refuge, how are you aware that maybe that refuge occurred to your father, your grandmother, your, your, your great-grandmother. 
And you're here today as a family member of CBC serving the Most High God because you had a refuge in God generations before you ever knew it happened. And to this day, not knowing history, you may never know it still. God is our refuge. You see, he didn't say, God, I'm, I'm your refuge when you know it. God says, I am your refuge. There are other times, family, that he is not the refuge and he lets us suffer. There is no fortress. It is then we experience this other source of God's help. He is our strength. Strength, here in, 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 in the text, is that inner confidence that when we are struck by tragedies, we can rely on him. Even though our prayers don't seem to make it to the roof, God still hears. God still is interacting. And God is still at work to give to us perseverance to give to us a call to action, to provide for us patience to wait on him when we desperately need him. It is in the moments when our refuge of protection or our strength that we discover the immutability of God. Now, family, I, I, I love this word. It just simply means that God never changes. And I want you to see if there's going to be a, a phrase that I'd love you to take home today. It is the second part of that verse when he simply says, a ever, or excuse me, a very present help. Don't, don't ever forget how wonderfully important that is. It stresses his immutability. He doesn't change. And why that's important is, is you don't want a, a God that you can read about in old stories. If, if God is the God that he says he is in the Bible, he's still that way. And he will be that way to your children and your children's children should God not return. And so when you read in Scripture that God is watching over Hagar, having been kicked out by Abraham and Sarah in 2000 B.C., she, about ready to die of dehydration, God provides a spring of water. And she looks up to heaven and says, God, you are El Royi. You are the God who sees me. That's the God who is still with you, the ever-present help. Not only is he the immutable God, he doesn't change his story, he doesn't change his rules, he doesn't change his connection with you, he is also omnipresent. And, and again, what an, what an incredibly privileged idea that is. Forgive me, but the um, omnipresence of God is with me in my office on Wednesday afternoon. He's in the car with Bill as, as Bill's going to the dermatologist for the 84th time, huh, in the last 20 years? He's with, he's with Ed out on Diamond Lake. 
He's with every one of us through the moments that we're going through, and we don't always connect with that awareness. He is there. He is the ever-present help. Family, what an incredible, wonderful privilege that is. So Jesus could say in John, verse 18 of chapter 14, I will never leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So after his resurrection, he came to them, and he turned their sorrow into joy. But then it included the permanent one-to-one -one relationship with the disciples that would be carried on through the work of the internal abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. God's promise comes with a demanded, realistic, expectational application for you and I. It says, we will not fear. And it's wonderfully strong. We can encourage each other don't fear. Don't fear. Why? Because we have a refuge. We have a strength. And we have someone who is an ever-present help. Don't fear. And then notice what he, what he leaves us. Family, if this is not world catastrophe, then we don't understand. This isn't just a downturn in economy. This isn't, this isn't even world war. This is the destruction of earth as you know it through tsunamis, through earthquake, and through just the unleashing power of a God who says that he melts the earth. We will not fear. Our confidence stems from the eternal promises God gives. So I want you to notice next, the second stanza is our home. Now, I want you to imagine this morning, we have just gone through the, the attack of King Sennacherib on the community of Jerusalem. Can you imagine now how surreal it must have been the day after 185,000 troops are destroyed? Imagine, if you will, walking through the city gates for the very first time. Imagine, if you will, walking out to where the armies were bivouacked out throughout all of the, the, the surrounding community. And all you see is dead bodies, dropped swords, dropped armor, dropped shields. All you see is the storehouses of food that have been, have been saved and, and set aside, the supplies that would have taken care of the armies as they traveled. All you would have seen, if you will, is the remnants that are now in front of you, can you imagine what it must have been like? The calm, the quiet, and yet at the same time, the reality that God has just done something beyond anything you could imagine. Now, they write about our home, and they use a very graphic, earthly pictures of Jerusalem. They talk about a single water source, the river. Family, the, the town of Jerusalem is fed by only one water source, the Gihon Spring. It's a wonderful thing, and from the times of David to this very psalm, the Gihon Spring fits 
with the, the visual history of Jerusalem. You can't have one without the other. And so it's one of the in, incredible parts of this, the story of the Bible. King Hezekiah, the one who, who defended Israel by his prayers, uh, also did one of the most incredible things. He defends the Gihon Spring in such a way that he literally carves a, about a half a mile tunnel through hard rock. We don't even know in, in an engineering feat how it was done. Taking the river and moving the channel from one side of the city to the other side of the city to make certain that they would always have a water source no matter what was going on outside them. And so we have that pictured here uh, as a, uh, an understanding of how God takes care of Jerusalem. Now, here is the part of the sermon where you're given a choice, all right? Part A or solution B. If you want to say that this is Jerusalem, the day after the Assyrians attacked, and the surreal peace that existed in Jerusalem the day after the attack of the Assyrians, the text allows for it. You can have that if you would like. I want to take you to a higher, more nobler Jerusalem. I would like to say that this section, this, this stanza of the hymn, is talking about the eternal Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem that we will enjoy when we gain eternity in heaven. Your family, there we find that the city is the holy habitation of God. And we have this in Revelation 21, 6 and 7. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. And so family, we're, we're, we're taken up to the eternities, confident of, of having accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, confident because we know Christ is our Savior, we're his children. And as his children, we will see him. He will be our God in a face-to-face -face relationship. I want to suggest to you the future reality is we will never be displaced from Jerusalem. No earthly power is greater than God. And so, family, we see throughout Scripture, in, in Psalms 2, he says that the rulers plot in vain. In Daniel 2, God removes kings and sets up kings. In Philippians 2, we're told that every knee will bow before Jesus Christ in Revelation 1.1. God is the ruler of the kings of men. So family, I want you to understand the reign we see now is his authority to claim citizens of his own kingdom from all of the nations on earth. What do I mean by that? I want you to understand this morning, no matter what a king or ruler says through the gospel of salvation the king of the earth can pull citizens wherever he wants and wills through a work of the Holy Spirit
So the Chinese government says, no believers. I want you to understand, statistically, there will be more believers in China than in any other nation in the next 20 years. Family, we're not certain statistically, but in North Korea today, they say, you will worship me, the dictator of the country. At one time, North Korea was literally known as the Jerusalem of the East. And though we have no numbers, the guesses are as high as one in three know and follow the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ within that country. Family, go to the Islamic countries. What do you find? You find Christ followers who will stand and follow the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Go throughout the world, no matter what the leaders will say, through the power of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit, you will find people who will say, I take King Jesus. So family, not only is, is Jesus capable through God on high to take his kingdom and his subjects wherever he will, whenever he will, no matter what they say, he also controls the very leaders through one other great power and privilege of his, death itself. He holds the keys. And you've never seen a dictator yet say, I think I'm going to live for a little while longer. Have you? Eventually, they might put themselves in a glass sarcophagus. They may preserve their bodies. They're still dead. Family, understand what a privilege it is to be the followers of the king today. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, the greatest privilege that you can have when you walk out of here is to recognize that you've been offered a salvation. You have been offered a relationship with God that you don't deserve, but you are given it through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You owe him nothing for it, but you take it all as you surrender yourself to his leadership. He is your God, and you will follow him as your leader forever. The greatest privilege that we can have is to sit down and talk with you about that relationship. And so, family, I would encourage you today, if you don't know the gospel, uh, don't leave today without the awareness of just what Jesus Christ did. I just love it when your phone does something it's not supposed to do. <laughs> if you will, let's look at the third stanza. Our God, our home, thirdly, our trust. And so as we see the song closing, I want you to notice he is God or the Lord Almighty. Almighty is the word hosts. And you've seen that throughout the Old Testament. He is the Lord of hosts. It refers to him, God, being the commander of the angelic armies of God. Now think this through. If the angel of the Lord, most likely the leader, killed 185,000 in one night's activity, what would the armies of that God be capable of doing on planet Earth? So God sets up an idea here. And he's not talking about a, an offered peace. 
he is talking about complete conquering. I own planet Earth by my authority, my might, and my power. Verse 9 says that, that he has brought desolations to the earth. He makes war cease. He is the conqueror. He will subdue the leaders of the earth forever. And family, let me remind you this morning of the second stanza of that a mighty fortress is our God. Martin Luther could write, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Family, before we go, I want you to see one thing. I, I hope you walk out today and, wow, and, and recognize that the recovery of depression and anxiety that's offered in 42 is being given by the one who has absolute power and authority to, to claim healing and encouragement and power and patience and perseverance upon you over here in 42 because of who he is in 46. But I want you to remind you of that incredible relationship. He calls himself, as we see in verse 7 and verse 11, he is the God of Jacob. Now again, if you're not doing any devotions and you've just read 36 to 38 of Isaiah and you want to go in, I would encourage you now go back to Genesis and read the biography quickly of our character Jacob. What you're going to find is a noodlehead, knucklehead, disobedient guy. He was called Cheat as a name. I want you to understand there's only one thing about him that is incredible. He fights God in a place called Peniel. And the only compliment that he ever gets out of the details is he never lets go. He never lets go. He never lets go. Family, forever God is willing to tie himself with the name, the explanation of the God of Jacob. And the only thing that's, that's a compliment there is he never let go. I want to suggest to you today what, a, what an encouragement that is for each one of us because now he's the God of Pete. He's the God of Pete. And again, if I'm willing to admit that Jacob's a knucklehead and he's a patriarch, I'm, I, I got to wear the same title. And by the way, so do all of you. You don't clean up any better than I do. He's our God. Not because, not because we're worthy of him. Not, not because we've accomplished a lot of things. Not because we're sterling in our character and our, our, our qualities of life. But because through Jesus Christ we've been given the Holy Spirit and the privilege to supernaturally hang on. Rejoice today in what you have. You see, not only do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but that, that relationship now is empowered through the Holy Spirit. That, 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 that relationship has is, is brought you peace with God the Father. 
That relationship equips you to daily go on and either by refuge and protection or by strength offering you the ability to go through, he's your ever-present help. And ultimately, he is your fortress. What a privilege it is today to be in relationship with that great God. Father in heaven, I thank you again for the Psalms. Father, in, in fairness, the family knows that I don't connect with it. And because I don't, Father, I thank you that you allow me to dig deep, to find, dear God, how it encourages my soul so that I can share. Father in heaven, I thank you again that you are the God of Jacob. Dear God, you're not the, 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 the sterling individual grabbing God. You, you, take, you take the insufficient. You take the untrusting. You take the crooks, the villains, and the cheats. And you make them yours. And Father in heaven, may we well represent you today because we recognize we do not have to fear in this world today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.